We come now to Hebrews chapter 6, and we return to this pause in the argument of the overall letter wherein the author is speaking of the poor spiritual state of the Hebrew Christians to whom he is writing. And uh, as we remember that, there's been much said at the end of chapter 5 where a digression in the text began, and even into this chapter, chapter 6. And we see that there's concern for the lack of growing and of hearing, a laziness of hearing, it even says in the text. And so we, we see that. We see his concern because he realizes that central to the argument of this letter is that a lack of growth and a lack of hearing equals danger. Danger. Spiritual danger. It may reveal an evil heart of unbelief. And it's given us that pattern throughout the scriptures, but particularly it pointed to the wilderness experience and said there's a picture of it for you, of people who weren't listening and weren't growing and weren't believing. And so we see it come full circle. Here's how that applies to you. You're not hearing. You're not listening. You're not believing. You're not growing. And so there is a danger here for you, for the people of God. And so again, you would say, well, we believe. We are a part of the people of God. But your lifestyle and your actions are beginning to undercut that testimony. And that is what this author is concerned about. So, well, how? How's it happening? Well, look at the imagery given to us just in the text last Sunday morning. He gives the picture of these grounds, one of blessing and one of cursing. And you say, well, what is the ground? What is this picture? It pictures simply a, a picture from agriculture that we would understand. Rain falls upon the earth as a blessing from God. It waters the earth and herbs come forth to feed us. Right? That's the purpose of gardening, right? to have something to, to eat I mean, in terms of gardening for food. And where it does that and it's cultivated, it brings forth herbs, we say what? We say it's done. What was intended is a blessing from God. But where the rain falls upon the earth and waters the earth, but it brings forth only thorns and thistles, what does that say? Well, that is symbolic of the curse of God. right? So to not be fruitful, to not bear forth that which God intends, is to be under the curse. Now, clearly our author is trying to say, if you're in Christ, you're fruitful. We went through that last week and looked at the evidences uh, from John's gospel and so forth. But he's also saying, if you're being watered and there is thorns and there is thistles, there is not fruit coming forth, then it's a sign that you're still in Adam. You're still in Adam. You're under the curse of God. That is what the author is saying. And what is to be done with those in Adam? Well, what do you do with the briars? What do you do with the things that grow out of the earth that you don't want? You take them, you gather them, put them in a pile, and you burn them. And the author says the same thing here, that those that are not fruitful are bearing thorns and briars. They are rejected near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. Now that is a strong warning, isn't it? I mean, that's really, if you will, the, the point that he's getting at with this warning against apostasy. It would reveal in you this that you are under the curse in Adam, and you are under the judgment of God. Now, we've been looking at that. That's what's been said over and over. And people are concerned about this because, again, they say, well, does that mean we can lose our salvation? And we say, no, you cannot lose your salvation. We have the words of the Lord in this. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Settles the dispute for me. Right? If we are His, we are His. 
right? No person can take us. No thing can take us. If we are His, we are His. And so again, that helps us to understand this warning passage. Not as a warning to Christians that you can lose your salvation, although this warning is given to Christians. Now we need to come back to that again today. But looking at this, I want us to look again at the text, and then we'll begin to break it down. So again, having heard this severe or serious warning about those that fall away cannot be renewed again to repentance, and then this picture of the ground saying, are you the good and blessed ground bringing forth herb, or are you the the thorns and the briars that are going to be rejected, soon to be cursed in the near future, and are being burned? And this is what he says. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, for though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show that same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, there's three points I want to get at today looking at this text. First of all, the key to understanding. In this is the key to interpreting rightly Hebrews chapter 6. It's an important group of verses that we need to consider. Second of all, the need for encouragement. That's at the heart of this. Be encouraged and think about how God considers your work. And then lastly, the call to diligence, which is really the theme of Hebrews. That's really Hebrews' theme. And we'll see it again here. So beginning first with this key to understanding, we just mentioned that this is a frightful warning. People are very concerned about Hebrews 6, much written about it, much debate on how to understand it or interpret it. And we come back to it again and say, well, just go with what the text says. Look at the text and we'll understand it. Think about what it's saying and we'll understand it. There are important markers along the way that we need to consider and put together and think about if we're going to understand the context of the entire letter. And so we see that again, there is a fearful warning here that is not dismissed. That warning stands. That warning is a warning to everyone who would read or hear this message. Hear this warning. Heed this warning. And so we have to keep that in mind. What he says today will not lessen that warning, will not disarm that warning, will not say ignore that warning. In fact, what he says today says all the more you should hear it and heed it. If you are in Christ, you need to hear it and heed it. And so we need to see that. But we need to see that this is a part of the passage that helps us to understand what's actually happening here. Because it begins with de or but in the text, a word of contrast. I've just talked about this curse that's going to fall upon those in Adam, those outside of Christ. But, notice the contrast. I'm going to say something opposite to that now. And then the next word in the the, uh, translation I'm reading says beloved. This is agapetos. This comes from the word agape, sacrificial love, true love, beloved brethren, okay? Beloved brethren, something like that. So think about those two words together, but as you do that, think for a moment of what one lexicon says about this word agapetos. It says, can be translated beloved, dear, hard to find appropriate word, but spoken only of Christians as united with God or with each other in the bonds of a holy love. Everywhere in the scriptures you find it, it's written to Christians. So that gives us a big interpretive clue here as to what this author is believing and saying. And since he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's a big clue for us, isn't it? He says, but, 
in contrast to what I've been saying about those who are under the curse and whose end is to be burned, beloved, dear brethren, in the Lord, beloved brethren in the Lord, I've got something to say to you. And what is it? I have a confidence. I have a confidence. I am confident in this, that there are better things for you concerning you. Now, if you think about that just for a moment, better is a theme throughout Hebrews, isn't it? I mean, we've seen that from the very beginning of the letter. He structures his arguments this way time and again, right? What you have is better than what was before. And I'm telling you now, what you have is better than what I've been speaking about. I've been speaking about those who fall away, those who have no hope because they're truly in Adam. They're falling away as external. It was never internal. They were never believers in Christ. They fell away because they weren't partakers of the heavenly calling. They fell away because they didn't trust Christ. Again, how do we know that? Well, the contrast is, you're not them. You are a beloved brother in Christ, a partaker of the heavenly calling. You belong to Jesus Christ. And we're confident of that. We're confident of better things. Not that you are figs and briars bound for the fire. But we believe in better things for you. Well, what are those better things? Things concerning salvation. If the fire is reserved for those in Adam, we think there are better things concerning you in Christ. Thank goodness in Christ we have better things in store for us than that. And that's what we read here. We have a confidence that you have better things ahead. Yes, the things that accompany salvation. Now notice, he says, though we speak in this manner. In other words, though I've spoken to you about this curse, though I've spoken to you about falling away and not being able to be renewed again to repentance, though I've spoken to you about the fire that awaits those in Adam, understand that even though I've said that, I'm confident that I'm not speaking of you. Confident that I'm not speaking of you. I'm confident that there are better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, things that accompany those who are delivered by God's grace. So again, notice that we see here again, things are often given in pairs by this author. We've seen it just recently in this digression. There are those who do not eat of the solid food. There are those who do. There are those who are not growing. There are those who grow. Right? There are those who do not hear. There are those that hear. There are those who, who bear fruit. There are those who do not. There is the good ground. There is the bad ground. Jesus said there is the good tree and the bad tree. Same argument. Same argument. So we see again this dual picture, if you will, so that we can decide where are we at in this equation. It's pretty simple. Where are we at? Where are we at in this equation? Well, the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, here's where I believe you are. I'm confident to say that you are to bear fruit, that you have been born again by the Spirit of God. And we might ask, well, well, where is that coming from? What is the evidence of that? And that brings us to our second point today, a need for encouragement. Because he immediately wants to encourage these believers that he's got evidence to suggest that they are the good ground, that bears herb, that bears vegetation that bears that which is good and pleasing to God and needed for us, right? That they are Christians, that they are among the people of God who are bearing fruit for Christ among the people of God. And where does he establish that? Well, look at verse 10. He immediately says, God is not unjust to forget your works. Now, 
it's important for a moment to see. Immediately he establishes that they are doing good works. Now, we have to say this anytime we say the word works. We have to establish they are not saved by those works. He is not arguing that. But he's arguing that fruit is an evidence of salvation, of the grace of God at work within us. We have to get that right. But he says, I have seen the fruit. I have seen the works that you've done. I'm confident that God will not forget those things. God is just. He will remember the things that you've done for Him. But I want you to also think for a moment here of His purpose in saying that. His purpose in saying that is, I believe that you are a part of the people of God. I believe that you are this good ground, but you need to hold on. You don't need to give up. You need to hold on in the face of trial and tribulation and discouragement and all these things. So let me do this. Let me encourage you, the author is saying. Let me encourage you by reminding you of what's important. Well, this is a letter that's already said that we need to exhort each other daily. What is an exhortation? Anyone looked up that definition, exhortation? A strong word of encouragement. That's what it is. We are commanded to encourage one another daily. Not weekly, not monthly, daily. Why? Well, we may need encouragement daily. The world throws challenges at us daily, doesn't it? The world does that over and over again, so we need to be encouraged daily. And one of the calls of the people of God is to offer encouragement to one another because the world offers plenty of discouragement. But it's not to be so amongst the fellowship of believers. Encouragement is at the heart of who we are as a people because it's rooted in love. I love you. I don't want to see you fall away, right? I don't want to think of you as somebody who's not bearing fruit. I don't want to think of you as someone who's not growing. I don't want to think of you as somebody who might be described as this ground. So let me encourage you. Be steadfast. That's what this author is saying. Be steadfast. Continue on. Hear the word. Receive the word. Grow. Bear fruit. That's what the people of God are called to do, right? In fact, this author is making it clear that this is the best evidence we have of salvation. Again, not the root of salvation, but the fruit of salvation is changed lives, bringing forth fruit. It's an evidence of receiving the blessing of God, which ultimately is salvation. And so again, he says, think about this for a moment. I've seen this. I want to encourage you in this. I've seen that there is something to be encouraged about. I've seen your works. I've seen this evidence. And notice what he says here. Not only your work, but your labor, your kopos of love. You've been diligent in bringing forth this fruit out of what? Dedication, maybe. Need, maybe. But first and foremost, out of love. A desire to care and to do for others. And so again, God will not overlook that. God will not forget that because it is a work that is born out of faith and love. And he says, it's not something that I've seen just in the past. Yes, you have ministered to the saints. You have ministered to the saints, he says. And that word, uh, diakonau, it's the word from which the root word we get deacon from, serve. You have been serving the Lord's people, he says. He says it right there. I've seen that, uh, in, that you've served his name by doing what? Ministering or serving the saints. But it's not just past tense, is it? He says, you serve the saints and you still minister. You're still doing it. You're serving the saints of God. You're taking care of them. You're encouraging them. You're serving them. And God notices it, and God won't forget that. God is not 
unjust as the world is unjust. God is just. He will remember these things. He always remembers those things that are done for His glory. For His glory. And it's important for us to be encouraged in the way He's saying to be encouraged. Your works may not be great. Right? None of our works may be great. Not as the world would count great. But offering a cup of cold water in Christ's name is something Jesus remembers. Something encouraged of us in the Scriptures. That's a great act if it's born out of faith and love. And so again, we could point to many things. Going to your your neighbor who might be an aging Christian and just bringing dinner. That might be something that's counted great in the eyes of God. Not in the world. Not in the world. Being faithful. Showing love in small ways. You know, uh, you might even just encourage somebody on the way out of church today that's having a rough time. That might be an act of greatness in faith. Because it's born out of faith. It honors God. Right? That might be a great act. And other acts that we think are demonstrably great may not be in the eyes of God because they may not be born out of faith but out of pride or vainglory. And so we need to recognize that's what Jesus was talking about over and over with the Pharisees. You pray. I'm sure they prayed beautifully, but you do it for attention. So you get no credit with God. You give, but you do it for your own glory, not for God's glory. Again, there are things that we need to recognize here. Be encouraged because you are faithful servants. You are faithful servants. You have ministered. You continue to minister. And in this way, you give evidence that you are amongst the people of God. You are a born-again group of believers. There's an evidence here. Now, can that evidence be wrong? Can you be doing acts of work and service and it not be genuine? Of course. Of course. But he says, I've seen a repeated pattern that to me is clear evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And the Holy Spirit is not at work in those who are to be burned. Right? He is not at work in those who are the briars. He's at work in the people of God. And so again, that is an encouragement and an evidence that you are amongst the people of God. And God is pleased by those things that are done by faith. So continue in them. Continue in them. Be encouraged in that. Realize that all the little things that you're doing, God does notice and will not forget. And they will one day be remembered at the right time. So that is an encouragement to continue in work. But, my friends, as we come to our third point, there's something else that the author wants to say, and that is that there is a call to diligence here. Now, there's already a diligence present, isn't there? They've been ministering, and they're continuing to minister. They're showing love in this tangible way. They are serving their brothers and sisters in the church. That's good. This author has said that is good. It's important. But notice, he says, I want you to take that same diligence Look at verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I want you to think about this just for a moment. He says, I've seen your diligence. I've seen it. You were doing acts of service for the people of God, and you're still doing acts of service. You are ministering and you continue to minister. You are a servant and you continue to serve. And all of this is good. You've been diligent in this way. But he says, we desire, we strongly urge, strongly want, strongly desire, that you take that same diligence and put it to something else. Works are good. But works in a people that fall away avail nothing, right? Because they show you were never in Christ. You were never in anything except in Adam. 
You were never reborn again. You were never regenerated by the Spirit of God. And so, works are good, important, as a fruit of salvation. But we desire that you take the same diligence you've had towards serving others, and you show it in this way, that you pursue the full assurance of hope, the full assurance of hope until the end. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be diligent. You've got to persevere. You've got to continue forward in the faith. You must be diligent to reach the end because it's those who persevere to the end who shall be saved. It doesn't matter if you make it all the way near the end and fall away. You never were in Christ. Insert Pilgrim's Progress story illustration one, two, three, four here, right? Again and again, we see these people who were on the way and fell away even very near the gate. One of the warnings given to Christian. Yes, even past the delectable mountains, even to the very end, ignorance gets to the very gates themselves and is drug away into hell. So again, the point that's given to us here is you must be diligent to pursue even the end uh, of this hope that is accompanying salvation. And so you must be diligent in this way. Don't become sluggish. Don't become sluggish. Now, this word is a word we've already looked at in the text. It's notros. It's the word uh, they become lazy of hearing. They become slow to hear, a little deaf to the word and message of God. He says, now, don't become lazy or dull in your actions. Don't become notros in the way you carry out your life. Don't be slow to get involved in those things that God has told you to be involved in. Well, what are those things? The life of the fellowship of believers. The, the visible church. You're, if you're claiming to be a part of the invisible church, you've got to be a part of the visible church. That's what he's saying. It must be the case. And that may cost you something. But if you slink away back to the synagogue, that isn't faithfulness. Now that's a challenging thing for us uh, in today's age, right? In an age where there is persecution all over the world and Christians are struggling to figure out how to live in that. But it was no different for these believers then. In Thessalonica, here in Hebrews, right, there are Christians that are trying to figure out how do we live in the face of a culture that is persecuting us. And what this author says is, stay faithful to Christ and stay with the people of God. Stay with the Christian community. Stay amongst the people. Keep serving them. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. Stay with them and hold fast your confidence till the end. Because if you turn away now, what does it say about your confession? What does it say? Now again, we are really good at self-justification, aren't we? Well, I can go back to the synagogue. I know what's in my heart. But what's your testimony? What's your testimony? This author says your testimony matters. Your public testimony matters. Christians would go out into the public square and confess that they were Christians, right? It might mean they would be killed. But that's what they did. And there were many things that they did that really were amazing to think about. In an age in which we're dealing with abortion right now on a national scale, right? It's been in the headlines. You know, one of the things that was noted in Roman culture was women would often um, not want the babies that they bore, uh, or they would try to abort them and it wouldn't go well and the baby would be born. And they would take them into a field and leave them. If you read about the early church, the Christians went and got those babies and raised them. That was something noted amongst the community. These are believers 
uh, who walk the walk. They don't just talk the talk. And again, there are cases like this where their works spoke of a changed life, something that was evident to the world. And this author is saying, look, your confession matters, your works matter, but where you stand matters. And so it must be rooted in a full assurance of hope. Why hope? Well, notice we've already spoken about faith, love, encouragement's born out of love, right? Faith is at the heart of everything. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And here we're talking about hope. The Christian's life must be governed by hope. How can I face trial and tribulation and affliction? I have a whole amazing letter of hopes and promises, don't I? I have a hope that allows me to persevere. I have a hope that allows me uh, to go through whatever it is. Let me tell you about that hope for a moment. 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we face affliction. If you read that letter, Paul talks about all the affliction he's faced, doesn't he? From despairing of life itself to later when he talks about all the things that he had endured in his ministry. He talks about afflictions. He says, there's something I know about afflictions. Afflictions are hard and they are a part of life. We're going to face them. And in the Christian life, you're sure to face them. It may be at work. It may be in your community. It may be the government. It may be friends. You're going to face some afflictions because of where you stand, if you stand faithful to the Word of God. And Paul said, I've faced many afflictions. But he said, I learned something about affliction along the way in light of the hope that God gives us. These afflictions, in view of God's promises, are temporary and light. Now, they don't feel that way to us, do they? But we have to reassess and rethink and, and read the promises of God and say whatever we're enduring is for a season, and it's light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory we receive in Christ. And so again, I think this author is saying the same thing here. If you're looking to the hope that we're given in Christ, then my friends, you can be diligent. You can persevere. You can be steadfast in the face of difficulty and persecution. And so I'm encouraging you to do that. I'm encouraging you to do that. In fact, I'm exhorting you to do that. And to do it with the same diligence and tenacity with which you've been serving the people of God. So that's the first point. But I want you to look at what else he says there. The way you do that is don't become sluggish. Don't become lazy in doing good. Paul says, do not tire of doing good, right? And here this author says, don't be sluggish. Don't fail to attend to the things that you are called to do. Those things that God has called you to do, continue to do. But here's how you do that. God has not left you without example. We are to imitate Christ become imitators of Christ. But God has also left us with other people to imitate. And that's what this author says. He says here that we should be mimites, mimickers or imitators of those who have come before us. Now I want you to look at what he says there again in verse 12. Don't become sluggish, but imitate, mimites, those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. As we're closing here, I want you to think about how this author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is already setting up for chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. Already, this many chapters ahead, he's laying the groundwork. He's laying the groundwork. There are examples given to you. You're not alone out there trying to figure this out. God has given you examples, people to mimic, people to imitate. He's given you models before. 
And they have faced challenges. In fact, guess what? They have faced far greater affliction than you're facing. Far greater challenges than you're facing. And how did they do it? They did it with perseverance, tenacity, and faith. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. They stood in the day of challenge. They stood through it all. And they stood faithful in Christ. So again, look to those who have come before. Now what is there for us here? The same thing, right? The same examples that they have, we have. We go to Hebrews chapter 11. There's no time limit. They haven't expired, right? We can look to Moses. We can look to all those wonderful believers, Abraham and so forth, that they are given. We have all of those. We have the scriptures. But we have others as well. God has raised up men and women the past 2,000 years who set the example for us. I mentioned that this Sunday or this Wednesday evening we're going to be looking at Polycarp and people like that who had to make tough choices and tough stands. And they were told things like, you all are atheists. You deny the Roman gods. What will you do? Will you deny Jesus and accept Caesar as Lord and the whole pantheon of Roman gods? And you have some pretty amazing things we're not going to get into today. We'll save that for Wednesday. But some pretty brilliant responses from those early apologists and martyrs. But at the end of the day, you're not being asked to do anything that they weren't asked to do. We remember them because they stood by faith, whatever it cost them. We remember Abraham. We remember Moses. We remember men like that. Why? Because they were faithful. You know, Moses had it easy. He could have stayed in the palace in Egypt and and had a luxurious life. But no, he would rather be identified with the people of God. You can already see why that's going to be a pressing example for this group, isn't it? What do you want? The approval of the world or to be numbered amongst the people of God? Which do you prefer? Which do you prefer? And so already the seeds are set for chapter 11. But remembering even for us that we have those same examples, the examples of Scripture, we are called to be in the Word of God, to be imitating Christ, imitate those that He gave us, imitating, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord, imitating faithful examples around us today, but also those examples over 2,000 years. Imitate them, learn from them. And I have often thought it's important to look at their weaknesses too, right? Not as a way of like we want to weaken the example. But when we think about a Martin Luther at the Dieta Worms, and he sits there and says, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. That's an encouragement in our moment where we need to stand, yes. But what about when I'm not sure I can do that? What about when I'm in a weak moment and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm not a Luther. right? I'm not a Luther. It helps to remember the night before at Worms when Luther almost folded. And he asked if he could have 24 hours to reconsider whether to recant all of his writings. And he spent that night in prayer and anguish, knowing that the next day he might, as the Swiss guard said, to the flames, to the flames. It helps me sometimes in my moments of weakness to go, I'm not all that different from Luther. He's a man, I'm a man. He did great things, I haven't, but still we're men, we're men. I have moments of weakness, he had moments of weakness. Guess what? So did Moses. So did Abraham. What made them great was not something in them except the Holy Spirit at work in them, right? That they believed the promises of God, that they trusted in God, that they said, here we will stand. Here we will stand. We will believe God. 
And Paul says, what was great about Abraham? Nothing in him. A faith that he had given by God in which he said, God tells me to go and I believe, I trust in him. I trust in him. I'll go and I'll do as he says. It says he believed God and that was accounted unto him for righteousness. So my friends, again, look to these examples in their strengths and their weaknesses, in their humanity, but most importantly in the grace that God gives them to stand in the day of challenge. And if you do that, this author is saying, you'll find strength for your day of challenge. Because one of the graces that God gives us to stand and keep us is the example of those that have come before us to encourage us to likewise stand strong in the day of challenge. So as you think about those examples in the Word of God and the history of the church, may God use them to encourage us to a life of service, honoring Christ by serving His church, and by God's grace alone to be faithful to the end.